the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back, 602-508-0960 is the number. I, um, I'm noticing what's going on in uh, Ottawa right now. The crackdown uh, has begun. They are arresting truly peaceful protesters. I mean, these are truly peaceful protests. We are not seeing billions of dollars worth of damage. We are not seeing violence of any kind by the protesters. Never mind billions of dollars worth. We are not seeing the firebombing of buildings. We are not seeing the taking over of police precincts. We are not seeing the deaths of anyone, much less uh, 30 people, as we saw during the uh, riots of 2020. What we are seeing, however, is that those who deign to raise financial support for them are also becoming targeted, as is that financial support, as opposed to, as you may recall here in the summer of 2020, that current vice president then bragging about uh, sending money to and helping raise funds for the less than peaceful protesters. These are all big distinctions. Why do we care so much about Canada? George had it right. We are basically uh, the same kind of people uh, uh, the same kind of uh, the, there, there's no country and culture that is closer to America, never mind geographically, than Canada. Uh, we we do end up spending probably more policy time focused on our southern neighbor, but that's in part because policy is required. It's in part because we have so much in common with our northern neighbor. I fear having too much in common with its leadership, our current leadership having too much in common with its leadership. I miss Stephen Harper. Stephen Harper was the conservative uh, prime minister of Canada who was really their Winston Churchill. He was just wonderful. You couldn't do better as a conservative leader than he. And perhaps as the cycles of revolution politics takes place, um, that will happen. It's a parliamentary democracy, so it theoretically could happen more quickly than it would happen in uh, a Republican government like ours with fixed elections. But let me just say something about how far the left has inverted itself and disoriented itself. I was speaking about this a little bit on Tuesday, but it's almost as if the lesson that Canada is teaching and anyone who supports the policies of the prime minister there, it's almost as if they have taken out a huge, a huge swath of Western teaching, heroism and literature. What we're talking about is civil disobedience. We're in Black History Month. Last month, we celebrated Martin Luther King's birthday. We celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday for reasons that would include him to some being a hero, for him to some being someone who taught us something, for him being someone worthy of remembering and worthy of study. 
what is it about him that is so worthy of remembering and worthy of study? Interesting, the thing he wanted to be remembered for most is the thing we remember least. What was it he wanted to be remembered for most? Bill, do you, do you have, a, have a notion of a guess on this? The thing he wanted to be remembered for most was being nothing more than a good Christian man who walked in the footsteps that God allowed him to. That's what he said he wanted to be remembered for, nothing but a man who preached the Christian gospel. It's interesting how quickly this secular society secularized Martin Luther King and refers to him more as Dr. King than Reverend King. That's itself interesting. But let's just talk a little bit about civil disobedience for a moment. Uh, it's, it's hard to pinpoint where it actually started, but if you want to go back to all the way uh, – if you want to go all the way back to the beginnings – of our Judeo-Christian heritage, Isaiah, Isaiah, woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed. Unjust laws, unjust laws. You look at the requirement Justin Trudeau is doing on all this, and it's an oppressive decree that truckers, regardless of anything else, must be vaccinated if they cross the border, again, regardless of natural immunity or regardless of anything else. And it's not just that we're saying vaccinated. I, I worry about I worry about the synecdoche. I worry about the sanitization of certain things. You may believe in the greatness of the vaccine, and that's fantastic if you do. And the evidence I've seen says that it mitigates harms. And it's generally, generally, okay, generally a good thing, particularly for people at high risk, particularly, but not always and not everywhere. And people are individuals. What the mandate of the vaccine is doing, let's not just sanitize it. Let's talk about what it is. It's taking a novel, newly invented thing to address a novel, newly discovered thing that by virtue of an injection into your body with a needle is supposed to do X. What's the X? The X has changed. That's another reason to have skepticism, isn't it? The X has changed, especially if you listen to Joe Biden. Maybe if we weren't um, told things that weren't true, there would be less hesitancy. But the X has changed. Consider Joe Biden telling you if you get the vaccine, you won't get sick, you won't go to the hospital. Not true. And the CDC was tallying up those numbers. They were called breakthrough cases. And when that number got to someone as being too big at the CDC, somewhere around the 20,000 mark of deaths, that's when they stopped publicizing it. So the not only did we find out go shots ahead. people are getting now cover that they're, they're, you're OK. You're not going to you're not going to get covid if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. If anyone else had said something that wrong in the other direction, they'd have been banned for Twitter for telling people pseudoscience, fake news about the vaccine. That was Joe Rogan's crime. After all, Joe Rogan's crime was just saying what the CD sa- CDC says 
two months before they said it. That's all Joe Rogan's crime was because these things have changed a lot. For a year and a half, the better part of a year and a half, we were told to get one of three vaccines, Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson. And that was what obviously the leading toward the mandate was about. But always get one of those vaccines, get a vaccine, get a vaccine. And it's Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson. And then in the dark of night around uh, December of last year, Johnson and Johnson no longer recommended another thing that changed. And if they're wrong about those two things, what else might they be wrong about? But regardless, every individual should be able to make up their own mind about this because another X changed when it came to the vaccine. What was that? Not just about it keeping you from going to the hospital or keeping you from getting sick or keeping you from dying, all of which changed. What also changed was that you, with the vaccine, couldn't spread it to someone else. That's an X that changed. Almost every important aspect of the vaccine changed. Almost every important thing we were told changed. So it's kind of hard to blame people for having hesitancy. Again, I'll stipulate. If you're in a high-risk category, the evidence I've seen says it does mitigate damage if you obtain the coronavirus. I get that. I get that, and I'm glad it's available for those people. But what's good for, 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 for Bill may not be good for me, and what's good for me may not be good for Bill. We are not cogs in a machine. We are not robots. We are not automatons. That is the dream of the left, to treat us all as the same. You look at the dystopian literature that is out there, whether you're talking Kurt Vonnegut or whether you're talking Aldous Huxley or whether you're talking any number, any number of dystopian things or television shows, Twilight Zone. We are not those things. We are not. We are not masses to be treated as one entity. If we were, why even have anything like democracy or a Republican form of government? Why not just have a dictatorship of the proletariat? Well, we do have something very close to it. It's just not of the proletariat. It's against them. And so everybody talks about freedom and not to have a to have a shot or have a test. Well, guess what? And so how about patriotism? How about making sure that you're vaccinated so you do not spread the disease to anybody else? What about that? What's the big deal? Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studios. It is a delight to welcome one of my absolute favorite people. That is Pete Peterson. He is the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. It's been too long, Pete. My fault. How are you, brother? Real good, Seth. Great to be back with you. Great to have you. You want to follow Pete on Twitter at Pete for the number four C A at Pete four C A. Pete, can I can I want do a long wind up on something? You're good at that, so let yep. me, let me try something here, if I might. Um, I, I was um, I was reading a piece by one Bacha Unger Sargon. I don't know if you know her. Ooh. She she is a woman. I she's, certainly do. Yeah, okay. Come to speak of Pepperdine. Oh, yeah. wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. And she wrote something in an essay on what's takes, taking place in Canada today that was so powerfully 
true and strong and also in a way obvious. I'm embarrassed I have never actually thought about it myself until she wrote it. It, it is bleedingly obvious and I just missed it. In the simple sentence she wrote, the left is in power. And it dawned on me, Pete, you know, without getting too far into it, uh, for years that was just never the case. The counterculture was the left. The dissidents were the left. Uh, people, not right. profits. The corporations were not on the left. They are now, right? Yeah. Uh, schools, yeah. certainly. Uh, athletics, journalism, uh, all of it. Not Pepperdine, but, you know, generally speaking, yeah. the left is now in power. There's an ad for Pepperdine School of Public Policy, which made me think about this. It says, become a, f- become a future wave maker. Seems to me... We in the conservative movement or even just the common sense movement uh, that that should abide for for everyone but sadly doesn't, seems to me we need to understand what it means for us now to be A, out of power and B, the counterculture. We need to learn how to make waves. I don't know if the trucker thing is a harbinger for how we do this thing. We've seen a little bit of it here and there, a little bit of the Tea Party, a little bit of the Gingrich Revolution, but those tended to be short-term political things and conservatives do what they typically do is they win and then go home. We need to have a sustained effort, don't we, as a movement the way the left did when it was not in power. Something yeah. I've just been thinking about since I read that line of hers. Well, and I think others should should follow some of the other things that she has said. You know, um, she's uh, a Ph.D., very smart person, has the book out, uh, Bad News, yep. about woke media. Yep. She is a self-described socialist. Right. And I have seen her speak on a couple of occasions, but she gave a talk at uh, Cal Berkeley that I would – it's up on YouTube. I'd advise anyone to – to tune into it because essentially she is making the exact same point um, that that you're describing there is that there there really is a fracturing of the left going on and in that there is a an ideological left that is dominant in these major what I would call civic institutions mm-hmm. and she is essentially making a plea uh, to those on the left that uh, her, are her compatriots uh, to return to an understanding of politics around class as opposed to uh, race, sexual identity, orientation, and so forth. And we can quibble about whether that is a good thing or a bad thing for America, but for the left, here is someone with a clarion call saying that if we leave the so-called FDR, JFK Democrat that was focused on issues around economic opportunity and move into these ideological categories and causes, uh, we are only going to further separate ourselves from the rest of America and be ready to see more elections like the ones that we saw in Virginia and New Jersey. Um, Pete, I have to say, too, um, attendant to her thesis, as I've understood her, and I've had her on the show a couple times. She's delightful, by the way, right? Just one of the nicest, friendliest people you'd want on your side, besides being smart. 
We don't always find that in the same person, do we, Pete? We don't always find smart. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, um, not a problem you suffer. Um, attendant to her, attendant to her thesis is it's interesting who the left is now taken to beating up on and who yeah. the na- the right or the conservative movement's natural constituency might be. I was just thinking about it in my own head. You think about can I can I give you three that I've noticed in the past three years, three institutions the left has beaten on, which you would have considered once upon a time working class standard Democrat constituencies, cops, yeah. cops, truckers, cowboys. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of a cowboy's been an epithet for a long time. Reagan's a cowboy. Bush is a cowboy. Trump's a cowboy. But then we saw it on the immigration thing when Maxine Waters was talking about cowboys uh, acting in, in manners that were worse than slave owners. Um, it, it dawns on me, you know, these are also the non-elite. Inst- you know, these are non-elite institutes. None of those professions require a college degree. Some people who are in them go to college, but you don't need it. They have their alternative alternative tracks and then sometimes competing tracks, it's kind of interesting who the left is going after. And two out of those three, might I say, Pete, used to be things young boys wanted to not only grow up to be, but liked to play on the playground or at home. Cops and robbers, cowboys and Indians, all that's gone. It's kind of, I I don't know if there's something there, but I think there's something there. Well, again, I, I do think that this goes back to this debate that's happening, and we can pull others out, not just uh, Dr. Ungar Sargon, but Matt Iglesias and a number of other people. Yes, that's a good one. That's a name I haven't seen, but yes, in a while, in a while, but but yes. But again, they're they're calling, these are people on the left calling out to the left, uh, saying that if if we are going to lose our focus on supporting those at the lower rungs of the income ladder, the lower middle class, for example— and we are going to make these explicit attacks on those because of their skin color who also still happen to be on those rungs of the income ladder. Uh, we are setting ourselves up to be um, essentially a, a party that's going to be heading into the political wilderness in the years ahead. Yes. Uh, part of this is about self-interest rightly understood. There. There just aren't enough voters in the categories they are seeking to defend. That's right. It's becoming, uh, while yes. at the same time that's, attacking yeah. those in the middle and lower middle class. Yeah, uh, that that's a trade-off. That's a political trade-off that we obviously saw fail in Virginia. Yep, and we will probably see fail in the 2022 election cycle. I want to explore that a little bit more on the other side of the break, if I can, with you, yeah. Pete. I'd also like to get your sense. Another part of this must have to do with what took place in San Francisco as well with the school board recall. I want to get your take yeah. on that, too, because I yep. do think there's there's a part of it that's in that inheres there as well. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Pete Peterson from the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. And, yeah, his school, he can talk to you more about this better than I can, but his school is designed to train people that want – It's not rules for radicals in Alinsky. It's a new set of thinking and teaching and rules that we need to learn if we want to make positive change in this world. Although there's an interesting thought there. Rules for radicals was written for the left when they were out of power. It no longer suffices for them because they're in power. We need our rules for radicals. Maybe it starts at Pepperdine. I'm Seth. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Pete Peterson, the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, is our guest. Uh, Pete, how how much of an earthquake was San Francisco? Uh, did that did San Francisco uh, show on the political Richter scale? I think a little less than a lot of conservatives are making it out to be, but you would be much more expert than I. Well, it is significant. Uh, the only thing holding it back from having a greater impact is that it's frankly an embarrassing story for the left and the media to report. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was a resounding defeat uh, in the recall of three board members at percentages north of 70% right. uh, for the three individual uh, board members who were recalled. The um, leading state senator representing that area, as well as the mayor of San Francisco, had initially come out in support of the school board members, and there was other backing to keep them in place, um, but uh, that obviously was not nearly enough to uh, preserve those positions, and now uh, the mayor is going to be able to uh, designate three new members, at least until the next election. So we'll remain to be seen what happens there. You know, in some ways, the story of the San Francisco school board can be seen as a one-off because it is so far left. Um, Listeners, I'm sure, will remember uh, the attempt to rename certain schools, including Abraham Lincoln. This was all happening as the schools themselves were closed. Right. Right. And so once again, an, an issue that you and I have discussed many times, the education issue really came to the fore yes. as a mixture of yes. both the ideological nature of education that was being offered, as well as the unnecessary closing of the schools themselves. And those two factors really did contribute in ways that are a little bit difficult to pull apart uh, to these results. Um it's is there also an element like we were talking about in the previous segment that Bacha uh, that Bacha writes about, Pete? Is there also an element of um, elites and non-elites? Because it seems to me the school closures, uh, sure, it affected everyone, although not maybe everyone in, in the same way. But it really did particularly affect the working class, didn't it, in a way that had to struggle a little bit differently with how they're going to deal with this, how they're going to you know, have supervision for their young ones when they otherwise yeah. would have been in school. And then also well, – and yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it raises the prospect of this new political category known as the parent of the public school kid. And this is a – this is a political category we really hadn't seen surveyed before until the Virginia gubernatorial race in which a very enterprising uh, survey firm called Signal um, surveyed parents of public school kids without reference to uh, political um, party affiliation. Yep. Mm-hmm. And a couple weeks out from the election, this major voting block, as it turns out, which we rarely hear from or, or seen uh, separated out from other categories, were uh, 56 to 35 in support of uh, the then-candidate Glenn Youngkin. Uh-huh. And so this category, which again spans political uh, parties, it also spans different levels of income, but certainly, as you say, more on the, the working class, you might say middle class, upper middle class, they need the schools to work for a variety of reasons. Yes, right. And not only 
in what they're teaching, but to remain open. And again, the combination of the two factors, as well as what parents learned was going on in their kids' classrooms because they were closed, uh, all these factors contributed to uh, the fact that education is, once again, even in the deepest of blue uh, San Francisco, um, parents are saying things have just gone too far. And, and, and at the elites level and public education, too, I happen to I, I, I'm guessing that I'm, I'm not sure if you followed part of this, but this this very well-known public school no, known as Lowell. Uh, which was yeah. changed from a merit-based admissions program, which, of course, elites would love or any parent would rightfully want, I would think. Most parents would rightfully want. When they changed that to a lottery system, I think that must have had a big effect on the, on, 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 on the mind of the elites when it came to public education as well. I've always thought – anyway, I have, I have to take a quick break. Could we pick up on that on the other side a little bit too? Of course. Yep. I appreciate it, Pete. Pete Peterson is our guest. He's the dean at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Check him out at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu if you're looking for a graduate degree in exactly what they say. They say who they are, School of Public Policy. And boy, do we need it. And boy, do we need you studying there. We'll be right back. We're speaking, delighted to be speaking with Pete Peterson, the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, talking about the San Francisco vote earlier in the week. Pete, another element here, you saw a little bit about this, not a lot. I suspect it had a bigger impact than than it merited uh, in in the write-ups of the vote, and it was the conversion of this uh, very good school, Lowell, which was a merit-based public school that turned itself into, by the dint of the school board's voting and activism into a lottery school. And it dawns on me, you know, that probably angered a certain number of elites as well, if not perhaps a lot of the Asian population, which I think was pretty dominant at that school. There had to be an element of that, too. You know, I'm always curious as to why elites oppose school choice. And I suppose their vision of a public school is something like Lowell, or something uh, like the Bronx School of Science or New Trier, right. Chicago. Right. What am I missing, right. right? Thomas Edison in Virginia. Yep. But not everyone who's an elite can afford Harvard-Westlake, and schools like Lowell were <laughs> for, 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 yep. for, for them, so to speak, uh, keeping it to California. That had to have had some something more to do with it, too, don't you think? I think it certainly could have contributed. Uh, that is one of the sidebars that the percentage of the Asian-American vote, at least on exit polls, uh, were a major driver of these three uh, board member recalls. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's some other complicating factors there with some um, charges around uh, anti-Asian bias. Oh, yes, one of the members had that. That's right, I forgot that. That's yes, right. good point. So that, that yeah. was what, right. But again, all of the – there was no – it wasn't close. All Each one of these three board members who were up for the recall all – again, um, received greater than 70% vote to to recall them. So it wasn't as if one was separated from the other. But you, you're raising, I think, again, a, a very important point that we are seeing um, that even these attempts within the public school system to introduce some form of merit are being uh, attacked by these highly, highly ideological school boards. 
And in that, you've got significant issues with um, a whole host of public school parents uh, for whom this is their opportunity to send them to what, dare I say, is a quasi-private school. Right, 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 right. That's the right way to think of it, too, I think, Pete. I do worry about, you know, the 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 victory here um i think it's a good sign for parental rights and parent parents taking education back into their hands i i i think that's a good sign i think that's an important thing has something to say about uh dissatisfaction to put it no higher of the uh of the covid mandates but i do think i i, I do recognize it's still san francisco i looked this up i had no idea no idea did you know yeah. That the percentage of registered voters in San Francisco to the, that are Republican is seven percent. Seven percent, Pete. Yeah, you need to yeah, open no. up a satellite campus. <laughs> and so I wonder. I know you like ska, but I wonder if the Who didn't have this right. We won't get fooled again. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Who just well, is Mario Brown? Uh, who is the mayor going to fill these slots with? Yeah. No. That. That is, but again, the the watching eyes are now on these selections yeah. in ways yeah. that they've never seen That's before. true. I mean, that is eminent. You know, tens of thousands of voters got engaged in this race, and obviously the, the vast majority voted to recall. And so they are they are vested. And again, we go back to, I we don't have the data on this, but I wouldn't be surprised if a significant percentage of those voters were public school parents yeah uh, that were just fed up with what was going on and so they're they're now in new ways uh dare i say uh woke yeah yeah to the reality of uh of what's happening in their kids schools and again i i think that that's in this sense uh it really is a uh, a manifestation of a larger national trend and opportunities for uh republicans to engage uh, in places where they haven't been successful before. And to talk education in schools, right? I mean, yeah. I think the left yeah. understood that a long time ago, and we're yeah. just tying our shoes on this. I really do. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. But again, the opportunities are are showing themselves yeah. in, in ways that I don't think we ever would have anticipated even two years ago. No, that's right. I think that's an opportunity we need to be prepared for, as we need to be prepared to put these coalitions together that, quite frankly, uh, Ronald Reagan did very well with um, and Donald Trump did pretty well with in 2016. Well, I'll I'll just give him his due. I think he did very well with it in 2016, too, understanding that the blue, the you know, Joe Joe Biden likes to claim he's lunch pail Joe and blue collar Joe and all that. Just nothing could be further from the truth. This is our natural constituency. And you look at who the left is kicking in the teeth. It's the blue collar Joe's. No, that great Reagan quotation describing his own political journey, yeah. that, that he didn't leave the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party left him hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Democrats, I think, are, are saying uh, similar things today. The, the question that the operative and dominant national political question is, where will they go? Don't you think, uh, did you follow the story of this uh this uh, former Levi Strauss executive, Jennifer Smith. Yes. So she, yes. so she talks about identifying her politics as left of left of center. 
Yeah. And uh, that's to your point, isn't it, Pete? Uh, it is. Because and when, 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 piece in yeah, the Atlantic about a, a person, because of the education issue, uh, was leaving the Democratic Party. She had a kid in public school, yep. just was completely exasperated, yeah. was not ready to become a Republican. Right. But. Would, but said that if I had, if she were in Virginia in that race, she would not have voted at all. Yeah, and that is certainly in elections. It's either about getting people to vote for you or, or getting not, not <laughs> or not getting or getting them not to. Vote. Yeah, right, right. That's right. Well, you know, um, the counterculturals. I, I, I love the story of of uh, Allen Ginsberg arguing with Norman Podhoritz in the '60s. And uh, Norman not buying any of it, and Alan saying, "Well, we'll get you through your children." He mm. he did mm. others' children, not Norman's, but others. And right. um, maybe we'll get Jennifer Say's children. You know, maybe may, maybe <laughs> maybe if we yeah. don't get Pete. I love talking to you, man. It's been too long, and uh, looking looking forward to the rest of the year with you, brother. You too, Seth. Great to be with you as always. Thank you, Pete Peterson from the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Folks, if you want to understand what they're doing in our schools, really, if you want to, just read Chapter 2 of the Communist Manifesto. They knew this all along. We're just catching up. What is it, the old Mark Twain line? A lie is halfway around the world while the truth is still tying its shoes. You could say this about the constituencies we're looking at now, but you can say particularly about education. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. I made mention earlier that, you know, when you look at what Canada is doing, it's as almost it's almost as if we're erasing uh, an entire area of literature, politics and um, and 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 culture out of Western civilization. The notion of civil disobedience over unjust laws. I quoted Isaiah earlier. It goes back that far. But when thinking about it, if the Bible is to parochial, what of Plato? What of Aristotle? What of Montesquieu? What of Henry David Thoreau? What of Martin Luther King Jr.? Uh, what of Gandhi, for, for, for that matter? Uh, what of Augustine? Uh, as I said, we just celebrated Martin Luther King's birthday. His most famous piece of writing is probably his letter from the Birmingham jail. And the most famous part of that is about civil disobedience and in the invocation of the notion that an unjust law is no law. Aristotle put it that the true forms of government will of necessity have just laws and perverted forms of government will have unjust laws. And what we have been watching and obeying for far too long are a series of unjust laws that speak to a perverted form of government. Perverted is an interesting word. Coming from the Latin roots, it means to lead someone from right to wrong, to distort the natural order. And that's why we have the notion of civil rights in this country and civil liberties in this country. And that's why, at least we used to in this culture, study and by studying honor and by honor honoring the likes of that litany I just gave you, Plato, Aristotle, Augustine, Henry David Thoreau, Martin Luther King, Gandhi. And what were they met with today? What were they met with today in an effort that was nothing but peaceful against nothing but an unjust law that had not even a rational basis to it? What were they met with? What were they met with? They were met with violence, true violence. It was a peaceful protest in truth.
and it was a violent reaction against it by the state. You know why? Botch is right. The left is now in power. The left is in power. The sooner we recognize that, the sooner will we begin our healing. God bless you all. Until next week, class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.